Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. We've got a really great show today with John Yee, and I've got to tell you, John is one of my mentors. So it was so great to sit down with him and give a shot at kind of bringing his mentorship and uh, some of his insights to you all and to a wider audience. John is really a fantastic, interesting guy. We talk about his time in the military and what that taught him about leadership and about teamwork. We talk about him being early at Facebook and what those days were like, uh, his struggles before that, starting up a bunch of companies and basically uh, being hand-to-mouth for about seven years. And we dive into Code and Canvas, which is a co-working space he started for both tech people and artists, and, uh, and what he's up to today working in the Bitcoin world. He's a product person, partnerships guy, and an entrepreneur, and I think you guys are going to learn a ton from the conversation. If you're interested in learning a new skill or maybe taking your career into a new direction, check out General Assembly. They're a sponsor on the show, and they've given us a 15% off offer code for any workshop or class if you type in Making Ways at checkout. You can go to ga.co and let me know what you think. Let's get started with the conversation with John Yee. Enjoy the show. John, thanks so much for joining the show. Certainly. It's a pleasure. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to these days at Coinbase. Sure. So first off, uh, Coinbase is a San Francisco-based company, um, has, like many of us uh, in, in startups here, um, very grand ambitions. Um, so our vision is to build an open financial system for the world, which sounds pretty lofty, and it will take us several years to get there. But what it means is that we will help to create a system where people can transact and store, transact, do everything they need to do with money um, in a way that is outside generally the control of a central authority. So it's not controlled by a government. It's not, you know, de facto controlled by a monopoly, corporations or institutions like banks. Um, and because of that efficiency, it's accessible to everyone. And what about your specific role there? Sure. I've been at Coinbase for about two and a half years now. First couple of years, I was a product manager for what we call Platform, and I've just recently uh, switched over to head up growth for the company. Um, and growth can mean a lot of things, but uh, at Coinbase, it means that we work on a very data-centric approach to understand what users are doing, what's satisfying them, and trying to do more of that, um, and eventually to grow our customer base using those, those insights. And tell me about the platform that underlies your company, which is Bitcoin. A lot of people out there have probably heard about Bitcoin, but have no idea what it is. Can you simply explain? In short, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are digital currencies that are programmable. There are many, many inefficiencies that um, our modern monetary system and the types of money that we've, we use from day to day have inherently. And uh, digital currencies like Bitcoin allow us the promise of being able to transact very quickly, very efficiently for a low cost, allow us to not have to trust a central government to keep records of, of who has what money and even what the value of money is from day to day. Governments obviously are very good at uh, legislation and, and keeping things in order generally, but 
There are many people who believe that money and the value of money should be more independently controlled or, or should, you know, people should have the ability to store their wealth how they feel fit. So Bitcoin is definitely an emerging technology. There's not you know, countless jobs out there for people interested in it. Have you always been someone who has gravitated towards new technology and kind of markets that are just starting to emerge? You know, it's funny. I have never really considered it that way. Um, I'm not necessarily a, you know, the person that stands in line at Apple every time a new version of something comes out. So I haven't ever necessarily just been chasing new technologies for the sake of it. Although I suppose generally speaking, new technologies um, are interesting because they're doing things that, you know, may not have been possible before. And in that sense, I think probably, yes, I've been sort of gravitating towards things that are you know, interesting. Tell me about your time in the military. And I'm really curious, you and I have talked about this, but how your military experience plays a role in the way you lead today. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I suppose it probably would be easier for me to, or you to kind of ask other people that I've led before how that might shine through. Um, but from my perspective, as objectively as I can be, um, I think my military experience gave me you know, t two significant things, which include uh, perspective and um, context, you know, much more than I think most people would get by the time I was, I think I was 27 when I left the military. Um, I had crammed in in about 10 years at the academy and in and, and the army, um, lots and lots of experiences, which I otherwise likely wouldn't have gotten. And because of that, I think I'm able to arrive at situations now with um, sort of the ability to kind of discern what's important, what's not, what should be priority, what, what you know, can wait a little bit, which is a blessing. Um, and then context is around just having had so many experiences that um, I can contextualize, I can chunk something that I see that is net new to me with something generally that I've seen before which makes me feel probably internally a bit more comfortable taking it on. I can translate a real world situation here to one I might've had, you know, although it might've been very different circumstances in the military. Um, and I think that probably helps me to be, you know, a, a decent leader. Um, you know, I th I've thought about this a lot, like what makes a good leader and at the, at the root of it, I guess, leading physically would mean, um, you know, say leading someone down a, a road or a, a trail um, and what would make a person a good leader down a trail would probably be someone who had been on that trail before, right? Um, so you can trust that person to not get you lost. And, and or, two, someone who had been on a lot of trails before who knew how to navigate them generally um, and who therefore also would likely not get you lost, you know. So I think fundamentally that's probably what people are looking for in a leader. I'd love to rewind and go back to when you were a kid and – were you always interested in building things in math and science? And what were the first kind of steps that got you into uh, choosing the military academy for, for school? <laughs> yeah, so those are two pretty big questions. Um, <laughs> around the math and science, yes, but I was kind of interested in everything, um, which makes uh, the fact that I studied mechanical engineering and political science in college probably not that surprising because I could never really, I was never called to a particular sort of uh, academic pursuit necessarily. 
Um, but I enjoyed school very much. So learning has always been kind of neat to me. Um, I could almost, you know, almost feel it, you know, I'd visualize, I guess, uh, uh, imagine my brain getting stronger and, and you know, lear- learning things and being able to apply that. Um, it's, uh, you know, in a way, I feel like learning gives you more surface area, if you want to think of it that way, in order to sort of catch the world and, and to appreciate the world. Um, so I've always enjoyed learning, but it wasn't necessarily in science or math that I excelled. I, I, I really enjoyed English um, and, and writing stories, which, you know, someday I, I, I hope to do, you know, more often than I do now. Um, uh, but but in terms of, um, you know, where I uh, ended up going and what I ended up doing first in my career, uh, there's a much longer story behind it. But basically, I got kicked out of my house in high school and thankfully had done you know, relatively well academically and, and um, needed a place uh, that was going to take me on a full scholarship uh, come early senior year. So it was pretty late in the game. And um, I did a bunch of research and applied to a bunch of schools and, and thankfully got into a few. And at the end of the day, I was choosing between Cal Berkeley and West Point, which were obviously then and now diametrically opposed in many, many ways. <laughs> um but at the end of the day, I decided, like, you know, I guess many times in my life just to give it a shot. And uh, although I really didn't like it while I was there, I really appreciate having gone there now. I think more so than anything, I really learned the value of teamwork. Um, I had mostly been a, you know, do it myself, you know, try to excel, try to be first kind of person, um, which is, I, mean, I suppose it's good in ways, but you know, I think we fool ourselves whenever we think we're independent. Um, we are so interdependent as a, you know, as an, as a human animal, um, on, you know, our, our family, our friends, our, you know, systems, our society, um, our natural resources, um, which I didn't understand as starkly as I did until I went to West Point where it was all or none, you know, as a private, a cadet private, um, you know, by design, you're nothing, you know, you're wiped clean as a human slate, shaved head, you know, all, all, um, all personal effects are taken away. Um, you know, in a sense, your identity is, is almost taken away, or at least put on the shelf for a while to teach you that it's not about your success. It's about your group's success, because that's the only way that you're going to succeed, certainly in war, but, but also in many other organizational circumstances. And where did you serve and what was your role in the military? Yeah, um, I elected to spend my first year doing a bunch of specialized training um, because I kind of figured if I was going to be stuck in the Army that I would kind of try to do everything that I could. Um, And so I went to a bunch of specialized schools. Um, uh, You know, the names probably don't matter to people here, but that eventually qualified me to apply to get into a unit um, called the the 75th Ranger Regiment, um, is more colloquially known as Airborne Rangers, um, which is, again, if people haven't heard of it, um, is roughly equivalent to the Army equivalent to Navy SEALs. It's on that same sort of um, uh, scope in terms of what, what the units do and, and where they get deployed. Um, and so um, I spent the majority of my time in special operations, both with the Rangers and then uh, a couple of years with a psychological operations group, which was a very different type of special operations. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was good living. When I finally made it into that unit, um, it taught me what, you know, as they say in the Army, what right looks like. Um, and, and I'll be chasing 
in some measure that experience for the rest of my life. What does that mean? What right looks like? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's, <laughs> I, I would love to someday write about this because I think the inside of well, what it be is to be a ranger is not well understood. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to explain, but, um, almost to the T certainly no unit is perfect, but almost to the T everyone is there for the right reasons has been through at least four, if not more, uh, pretty rigorous filters in order to, to volunteer four times for training to, in order to qualify. And because of that, and because it's well-resourced and because it has a history that uh, people respect and um, it's led well, all things kind of come together where you can do your job, I don't know what the number would be, 5, 10x, faster, better, more correct than you can anywhere else in the Army, uh, certainly that I had been in. Um, People, you know, I sort of halfway joke and say half of the time, if not more, when I'd ask someone to do something um, he would say, uh, I've already done it. <laughs> that, that, that was the type of unit that the Rangers was. And you said you've been chasing that kind of experience since then. Do you mean kind of working in a team that's as well functioning? Yeah, there are a few elements to this. Um, it, you know, it's funny when I, years, years later, um, probably about 10 years almost after I left the army, I had the opportunity to work at Facebook. Um, and back then when it was just still a few hundred people, um, everyone, every month that was new would meet Zuck and, you know, and say, um, you know, a couple of things. But one of them that I remember is, you know, sort of what you've learned in the last 30 days. And as I recall, he appreciated um, my learning, which was that, Facebook was quite like the Ranger Regiment um, or a lot like special operations insofar as it was a lot of smart, very motivated people with a um, sort of a shared vision um, that was very motivating and who were well-resourced. And that sort of trifecta of things just doesn't exist enough in the world. Um, (laughs) And I've been blessed to have had the opportunity, you know, not once, but I think three times uh, now in my career uh, to, to do that. So that's what I'm chasing, and I, to some degree, which I found, I suppose. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor, General Assembly. They are an amazing organization with classes all across the country, even across the world. They've got campuses where you can learn about digital marketing, SEO, data science, UX design and research, And they're really a phenomenal group of people who even help you after you graduate from these classes, take your career in a new direction by connecting you with people who work in those fields and actually can help you even meet people and get you placed. So check out ga.co. And if you use the offer code makingways at checkout, you'll get 15% off any class or workshop. So check it out. Let me know what you guys think. And let's get back to the show. So tell me about how you left the military, and I mean, I know there's a lot of years and a lot of startups. Tell me about what happened kind of from leaving the military and then before you got to Facebook. Sure. Um, so the, the the quick version is when I left the military, I had no idea what I wanted to do, like a lot of veterans that are transitioning. Um, and um, But I knew that San Francisco was a place that I'd always wanted to live. And um, there was, it was sort of the tail end of the dot-com bubble back, back in 2000. 
And so I decided I would give it a shot. Maybe I'd write a book. Um, so I moved here, um, took a job with a Red Cross, kind of on a whim. I had met a person while I was stationed in Korea five years prior who was working for Mayor Brown at the time, called him up randomly. He came to find out later it was rare that he would pick up his phone. But so somehow I picked up his phone. I asked him if he remembered me. He did. Um, he recommended that I send my resume to somebody, and suddenly I had a job offer. Um, so it was really fortuitous that I was working, you know, basically a week after I, I got out of the army, had a job. Um, but I started on September 6th, 2001, working for the Red Cross, having no idea what my, you know, what I was doing. And suddenly I was swept up in this whirlwind of response to September 11th. Um, people forget now, but one of the planes was destined for San Francisco. And so all the families of the victims are generally around the Bay Area. And the Red Cross's job was you know, in part to, um, to help those families. Um, so I got swept up into that and a bunch of Red Cross related things for a couple of years before I knew it and kind of decided as much as I enjoyed that, that I'd always wanted to start a business. And so met a friend of a friend who had a, uh, a couple of patents, um, for a audio hardware idea and we hit it off and uh, we started a company, which I, I, um, was at for about five years and last two years of that, I had another idea for a company um, and decided to raise some money and start that one up, um, which was in the audiobook space um, and uh, ran that for four years or so. But um, the last two of which I was actually at Facebook. Um, so I overlap a lot of things, I guess. Um, and the reason why I went to Facebook in part was because I was broke. Um, I had spent all of my nest egg that I had uh, that I'd saved up in the military and all of the kind of amazing gains that I had made in the stock market almost by accident to stretch that money for the better part of, you know, I had counted about seven years. So I made zero dollars in salary for seven years, stretched it, got to the point where I was about a hundred grand in debt and decided, all right, I need to go get a real job for a while. And you joined Facebook, as you said, when it was just a few hundred people, and you were there during the IPO. I'm curious how you got your foot in the door at the company, and then what it was like there early days. Sure. And um, take us through that experience a bit. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a bit of a funny story, actually. So when I was running my second company, um, it was... Uh, Roughly speaking, it was trying to be, compete with Audible, which still today has somewhat of a monopoly on audiobooks. So the idea was that we would um, we'd have an open market for authors to record their stories and then sell them to readers. Um, and um, um, part of my challenge there was to get writers and readers onto the onto the the site. Um, so I used Facebook advertising to try and get users, and I became fascinated with the system they had because it was very different from any other advertising system at the time where they were the only ones where you could, if you could think of ways to actually target people by their personalities and the, you know, generally the things they're interested in, then you could find audiences, which wasn't possible, and to this day is still not possible in most of the web. Most of the web says, hey, we have... It's like TV. We have this show, and these types of people probably come read it. So, do you want to reach those people? Probably. Um, it's all a bunch of hand wavy kind of crap in my mind. Um, Facebook was finding people who had specifically opted in to say, "I'm interested in, you know, books, audio, audio books, these authors, whatever else." And I just became enamored with this system that I thought was genius. 
And so I met um, a woman who was my first boss eventually at Facebook at a conference. And I gave her, I sat down with her and gave her a long list of improvements that the ad system should make and said, you know, and plus if you had an API um, where, you know, third parties like me could build software to do this, you know, much more efficiently, then I could just spend more money on your platform. And um, thankfully a couple months later, she asked me if I would consider coming to Facebook to do just that, um, (laughs) to improve the ad system and to build a program for third party developers to build software so that other people could use Facebook for advertising. I may have this correct. After Facebook, you went to Pinterest and then eventually to Coinbase. That's right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, about that journey. Yeah. Um, I only spent a year at Pinterest. Um, I was really hoping, kind of to your part of the question that I probably didn't answer before, I was really hoping for uh, kind of a gunslinging Wild West like like the early Facebook days uh, were, or at least I remembered them as. Um, and when I got to Pinterest, I found a bunch of very dedicated, very smart people who, um, who had built a very different culture than, than Facebook, neither good nor bad, but which didn't, um, didn't really work for me. Um, it was more methodical, more thoughtful, you know, um, much more, I suppose, in a way respectful of the user's current experience and expectation you know so if you remember back in the early days of facebook people actually protested when the news feed started they wanted yep. to see you know what was called the walls at the time um and um that certainly doesn't really happen at pinterest and i think by design they, they aren't in the uh you know throwing the dice kind of a, a business um and that's smart for them you know I, I i hope that they continue to succeed but it was a different environment for me. Um, and so I, after a year, I took some time off and I looked for something that was, you know, kind of the opposite in a way that was bleeding edge, that was throwing the dice every day, that was, um, um, even smaller. Um, and I found Coinbase thankfully. So you're a business person, a technical person. You're also a creative person. I want to talk about the side project, which is, is a pretty big side project at Code and Canvas, and that's a co-working space and really a means to engage the community both on the tech side and the the arts community in San Francisco. Tell me about the origin of that organization and what you guys are up to there. Sure. Yeah, so Code and Canvas was founded by um, four sort of tech veterans, so to speak, um, that uh, one of which um, I worked with, and he's a close friend from Facebook, another that I worked with, another close friend from Pinterest, um, and then another gentleman who actually built one of the first ads tools on Facebook ads that I was able to kind of cultivate once I was at Facebook, um, who's out of London. And these these four gentlemen sort of joined with me in this effort to um, save a physical space, which uh, the landlord, who is you know a, a stand-up guy from a stand-up family who's owned the building, for I think 50 years, um, who wanted to, you know, to bring the, the rents up to more market rate and the artists that had been in and out of that space for the last, you know, 20 years prior, uh, just weren't able to afford it. And so unfortunately it looked as if, um, you know, that place was going to turn into something very different, not non-arts oriented place. And, and, you know, not a huge number, but, you know, 20, 25 local artists, um, were going to be displaced. And so, um, 
Um, I was brought onto it by a friend of mine who was one of these artists, and he asked me if I would rent a small studio as a writing studio, knowing that I want to write books someday. And I dug a little deeper and realized that that wasn't going to help enough. Um, so pulled together these four gentlemen, uh, or three other guys and me, and put in some money and um, convinced the landlord to give me a long-term lease and to be the master tenant. And three years later, it uh, continues to house, I think it's now 17 artists in art studios and another uh, changes from, from quarter to quarter, but I think it's a dozen startups um, plus one large architecture firm um, in a 25,000 foot space. And you were really pivotal in my career. When I left uh, uh, Google, I was getting ready to leave and thinking about my next step. We had a really wonderful conversation. I think it was our first chat. And, you know, towards the middle end of it, you said, well, have you ever thought about doing your own thing? And it was, I really never had. And it kind of struck me and I was like, I'm not ready for that. And then it kind of ping ponged around in my head for some time. And, uh, you know, eventually I came out to that outcome that it would be the right thing. And it felt really, really good because none of these full-time jobs, um, that I was looking at were really, feeling right. So I thank you for that, John. <laughs> and I'd love to hear if you have advice, kind of more general advice for listeners who are maybe early on in their careers, or maybe they're doing something that they're not feeling, um, you know, super satisfied with about the best way to kind of get on the right track and listen to yourself. And either have the confidence to make those bold moves or figure out the steps you need to take to build up the education or the skill set so that you can, you can make those, those big leaps. Yeah. Well, well, first off, I'm so glad that, um, you decided to, to start something on your own because you've seemed happier every time I meet you, um, which is, too far and few between, unfortunately, since we live three blocks away from each other, we've just <laughs> discovered. Um, uh, it makes me quite happy to know that you have found um, in your sort of entrepreneurial uh, project um, satisfaction, much of which I sort of see myself in, you know, a couple of the projects that I've had. And I, and I understand there are certainly ups and downs, or the ups are, are as amplified as the downs. Um, but there's nothing like you know, looking at something and solving it and seeing it as your, you know, something that you've, you know, maybe not t physically, but you've built with your own hands kind of thing. To your question on where perhaps, especially younger people who are trying to navigate their careers, you know, I think it really makes sense to think about it from first principles, which is, um, you know, maybe sound a little morbid, but what, what would you want your obituary to read? Um, <laughs> um, what would you you know, if it's important to you, what would you want to be remembered by? And what, what I mean by that is not necessarily that you need to be remembered, but um, perhaps what you would want to remember yourself by, right? Um, because I think in that is almost an assumption that you want to be famous or you want to have a legacy, which isn't necessarily true for everyone. And it, and it I'd like to think isn't really for me either. Um, anyways, it's a roundabout way of saying what's important to you. And to even if it's not 100% what you do today, can you be moving generally in that direction over time? Um, I, I mentioned before briefly that I've always sort of wanted to write. And thankfully for me, um, 
I've always had in my back pocket this idea that no matter what I'm doing, at worst, I can be learning things that I can write about. <laughs> so I have almost this excuse, no matter how good or bad the job is or how tough the day is, um, there's some fodder for future writing that I can draw from. Whether that's you know comes to actually be true or, or not, or realized or not, I don't know. Um, but um, I guess that's what I mean by uh, pointing generally in a direction that you want to arrive at. So you brought it up a few times, and I know that writing is something that's very meaningful for you. What are your aspirations there, and, and what do you hope to, to write one day? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'll, 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 be, um, I'll be straight with you. Um, one of my aspirations there is to eventually be able to do that and pay the bills. Um, so, you know, living here in San Francisco, though, I've been incredibly fortunate. You know, like I, I thank my lucky stars that I've been able to live here since 2001 and now set some roots down. You know, my, my son was born here and we intend to stay for a while. And to be able to do that is just a blessing. Um, and it's all too rare, unfortunately. Um, but um, I would like to write and uh, be able to make money at it, which I you know, though I've done a lot of research, I have never been paid a cent for anything that I've ever written. So getting from here to there is like a sort of binary zero to one sort of thing. Um, so that's first off, I'd like to do that. Um, and um, otherwise, I think writing is, you know, and this is a theory yet, a hypothesis that I haven't tested, but I think writing is probably the channel through which I can affect the most change um, and hopefully in a positive way. I really enjoy, um, you know, all kinds of different entertainment and, and informational channels like movies, for instance, but the ones that I enjoy the most, um, sort of tweak me and you know, sort of almost in a way, make me a different person on the other side. Um, and that's what I would like to do, um, whether it be through fictional literature or, you know, uh, creative nonfiction or even business writing, um, all of which I'm considering. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And it was really fun. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much, John. Certainly. Thanks. Okay, that was the conversation with John Yee. John, thank you so much for joining the show. We found out we're neighbors, which we didn't realize, and uh, really always enjoy my conversations with John. So getting to have him on the show and getting to broadcast more of his insights and his tips and his experiences with you all is uh, really a treat. So I hope you all enjoyed it too. Thanks to our sponsor, General Assembly. If you go to ga.co and type in the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off any class or workshop. So check out what they've got to offer. Lots of digital marketing, SEO, uh, design, coding that you can learn there and take your career in a whole new direction. Thanks so much to all of our listeners out there. I'm hearing from you guys more and more every week. If you like what you're hearing, head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It's a really great way for people to discover the show. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim in the mix, too. Every week I do an illustration, an article, and show notes that you can see on makingways.co. You can also follow along with us on Twitter at making underscore ways, on Medium at backslash making ways, on Facebook and Instagram. So find us there and connect. We would love to hear from you. Thanks so much, guys, and have a great week.